Well, I encourage you once again this morning, uh, rather than opening your Bibles, rather than opening your copy of God's Word, uh, to open up uh, your bulletin and to pull out this bulletin insert uh, that you find there. Uh, It's just easier to do that since uh, we are looking at various uh, Proverbs. This is our fourth week now of studying this book of wisdom, the book of Proverbs, a book that is filled with practical ways for us to live, but not just live, but live lives that are in the fear of the Lord. That's been a theme that has been uh, reoccurring, and it will be throughout our study of the book of Proverbs. Last week we looked specifically at what God's Word has to say about the way that we speak the kind of words that we use, and we are reminded immediately that our words matter. That words are not necessarily, they're not neutral things. And that often, because of that fact, we ought not to say anything at all. Because of the condition of our hearts. But when we do speak, we ought to be slow to speak. And we ought to choose our words carefully and aim them appropriately at others. And today I want to focus a bit on that last part that we just touched on last week, and that is the aiming of our words, the aiming of our speech, because the Bible and the book of Proverbs has a lot to say about how we aim our words. And again, I know that many of you weren't here last week, and it is important as we think about a book like Proverbs, as we think about very practical things for our lives that we not forget that first and foremost, this whole study and all these principles that we're going to talk about, that ultimately they have to do with our hearts. That ultimately our words are merely an overflow of what's already in us. And so it's our hearts that we need to aim out. It's, at, it's, it's out of the overflow of our hearts that our mouths speak. And therefore, right off the bat, we cannot look at, a, look at passages like we're going to look at this morning and heed them and take these principles and put them in our lives. We can't really do that without the Gospel without truly understanding and being captured by who Jesus is and what He has done for us. And I know I said this last week, that without His presence, His promises, and His power, this is pointless. We must look to the One who never spoke an errant word in His life. The one who spoke perfectly. Can can you even imagine going through your whole life without an errant, sinful word? That is what the Lord Jesus did for people like us. Those who can't love God with all our heart, soul, and mind. Those who can't truly love our neighbor as ourselves, as, as God calls us to do. No, Jesus took the guilt and lived the life for sinners like you and I. That we might in turn, after being captured by who He is, then we might live a life that is lived in the fear of the Lord. 
And so I pray that, that even as we go through these principles, that you won't, won't go away, that you won't leave Jesus behind, that you won't leave the gospel behind, because he must be there. So with that foundation, let's listen then to the wisdom of God as found in these various Proverbs from this book beginning with Proverbs 11 again, like I did last week. I'm not going to read the references, just the Proverbs themselves, and then we'll jump in. This is God's Word. Whoever goes about slandering reveals secrets, but he who is trustworthy in spirit keeps a thing covered. The words of a whisper are like delicious morsels. They go down to the inner parts of the body. Whoever meddles in a quarrel not his own is like one who takes a passing dog by the ears. An evildoer listens to wicked lips, and a liar gives ear to a mischievous tongue. Whoever brings blessing will be enriched, and the one who waters will himself be watered. He who loves purity of heart and whose speech is gracious will have the king as his friend. Let another praise you, and not your own mouth, a stranger, and not your own lips. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. Uninformed in the information age. Being uninformed is a, uh, is a no-no in our day and age. It's something that actually can be downright embarrassing. No one wants to be Uh, in the dark about something. A few weeks back, we talked about the phenomenon of living in what is termed information age. An age in which we are increasingly flooded with questions like, did you see that video? Did you read that article on Facebook? What? You didn't see that? Social media and internet have certainly accelerated and accentuated the rate at which we ask those questions, but the questions in and of themselves are nothing new. Since the establishment of humankind and the community that we exist in, we have asked each other questions like, did you hear what so-and-so did? Did you know what happened to XYZ? See, at times... Questions like those, interactions that we have like that with one another, at times they are carried by the purest of motives. I mean, after all, God has made us limited creatures. We, we are curious beings. We are people who like to learn, who like to know, who like to fill in the gaps of our understanding. Not only that, but we are hardwired to love story, aren't we? We love stories. It's part of our image-bearing reflection from who God made us. We're in a story. We're part of a story. That's why we love them. That's why movies are so popular. But often those questions that we ask, those inquisitive questions are, are anything but innocent. They're anything but pure. They're They're so often carried by our desire to exalt ourselves. And to exalt ourselves even at the expense of those around us, even those who we love the most. Today I want to preach 
on a subject that I think we as humans and we in the church need to think about and wrestle with again and again. It's the subject of gossip. I want to explore this morning, not comprehensively by any stretch, but I want to explore a bit of what the Proverbs and what the Scriptures and what God Himself has to say about the way we talk and specifically about what we have come to know as gossip. Two simple encouragements uh, provide us with a skeleton. And and as I do every week with these, these points or these truths or these admonitions, these are just kind of the basic things that I want you to walk out remembering, but you've got to hang stuff on this. These are the skeletons with, you, with, with which you hang the meat that you may digest as you go from this place. And so the first one is this. The heart that fears the Lord guards against gossip. The heart that fears the Lord guards against gossip. Now that's, that's likely an admonition that we all say amen to. Yeah, we agree with that. And yet, brothers and sisters, I think it's one that we too often lack awareness of, even in the church, maybe especially in the church. Gossip is serious. Gossip is ungodly. Gossip has no place among God's people. Paul wrote in Romans chapter 1, a familiar passage to many of you, he wrote that the wrath of God is being revealed against ungodliness, about the, against those who suppress the truth. And he writes in verse 28, and since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness and evil. And then he lists all this serious stuff. I mean, a bunch of serious stuff. Envy, murder, deceit. And then he goes on to say, they are gossips. They are slanderers. They are haters of God. See, make no mistake, God hates gossip. And we in the church, we who love and know Christ and follow Him, we ought to hate gossip and guard ourselves against it as well. But maybe we ought to begin as we think about these verses. I know this is, this, this is a study that's not normal for us. Normally we take big chunks of Scripture, verse after verse, chapter after chapter, and we're kind of bunching together a bunch of verses here. So maybe it's helpful at first, for us to simply define exactly what gossip is. Gossip, of course, is just one English word that is trying to translate a Hebrew concept. I want to look at some of the various words, some of the various words that uh, describe this concept of gossip in God's Word. But let's start with a general, simple definition. And I got this definition from a book called Resisting Gossip. And it was a a book, a little tiny book, written by Matthew Mitchell. And uh, it's fairly new. And I am indebted to this little book. This little book provided a wonderful uh, template for me in thinking through this and in... in, uh, preparing for today's sermon. And and I would commend it to you because it says a lot more than I can say this morning. 
though I've taken bits, of, bits and pieces of it for you. But he writes in that little book, he writes this, the sin of gossip is bearing bad news behind someone's back out of a bad heart. That's his definition. The sin of gossip is bearing bad news behind someone's back out of a bad heart. And I don't know about you, but when I hear that definition, it sounds ugly. It sounds like, yeah, I'm not, I don't want to do that. I'm not going to do that. But then I read Proverbs 18.8, which says, the words of a whisper, and we'll talk a little bit about the whisper, but the words of a whisper are like delicious morsels. They go down into the inner parts of the body. You see, words of gossip, it's like a bowl of Skittles or M&M's at the Hitchcock's. You know, the thing is just sitting there on the counter. And give it a few hours, and it's going to be gone. And whoever took the lion's share of it, that's going to be down in the innermost parts of their body, and it's going to make them sick. That's what gossip is like. It's the picture that Solomon gives to us. Gossip is hard to resist. And, and I want us to kind of think about gossip a little bit. I want us to kind of peel it apart and maybe pull back the curtain because I think gossip is so hard to resist because gossip feeds our pride. It feeds our pride. Gossip makes news serve the purpose of me. Gossip makes news serve the purpose of me. And I love me. And you love you. See, it's not about loving my neighbor. It's about loving me. It's about judging my neighbor. Now, in our day and age, we have this thing about don't judge me. Not all judgment is wrong. Not all judgment is wrong. But the kind of judgment that gossip makes is the kind of judgment that happens without the facts, based on assumptions, and with motives that are aimed, again, at me. Proverbs 18.13, if, if one gives an answer before he hears, it is to his folly and shame. So, I want to think a little bit about this issue of gossip, and I want to do so by looking at, first of all, some of the words that Proverbs used to describe this concept, and then maybe what is the heart issue? Maybe peel back a little and ask, what is the heart issue that we're dealing with? And then what is the alternative? What does God call us to be? What does wisdom look like? So I have three examples. Three examples for us to think about. The kind of talk that we need to be on guard against. Before I go into that, though, let me say this. This is not, men, this is not a female problem. This is not just a women's issue. There's a, there's a stereotype that this is just an issue that has to do with women, and that's simply not true. It's true that women, in general, tend to be more relational beings. And so certainly there is more talk going on, and that's a problem that we have, men, 
is we need to talk more. We need to be more relational beings. But this is a human problem. This has to do with all of us. We all need to guard against gossip. And so with that said, the first example in, in terms of these, these characters, these, these words, the first example comes from Proverbs eleven thirteen. It's the first Proverbs there listed for you. Whoever goes about slandering reveals secrets, but he who is trustworthy in spirit keeps a thing covered. This is the informant. This is the informant. The one who loves to get the story out there. They love to be the one who breaks the news. The Hebrew word that is used here in Proverbs 11 can actually be translated quite literally, tail-bearer. The one who bears the tail. Many of you, some of you anyway, have heard this story before, but when we lived in San Diego, uh, we had for a short stint, uh, we had a dog. Uh, the dog's name was Duke. It was a Great Dane Labrador mix, very big dog. And we had gotten the dog from our uh, previous pastor who had moved away, couldn't take the dog with him, was looking for a home for it. We really didn't want the big dog because we lived in a small house, but we took the big dog anyway. And the dog, the one thing about this dog is it loved to run. Like when the door was open, it was one of those dogs that you had to make sure that the dog didn't squirt out and run, like away, like gone. One time we were uh, living in our house and we had just moved into this house, I don't know, six months ago or six to nine months earlier. Anna was pregnant, great with child, seven months pregnant, something like that. And she opened up the door, one of the kids opened the door, and this dog, Duke, shot out the front door took a hard left over to the neighbor's house because he had observed coming home from walks that the neighbors had a cat. And Duke made a straight line for the cat, grabbed the cat, and proceeded to thrash our neighbor's cat, our new neighbor's cat. No big deal, right? The cat's only 14 years old. Been with them since it was a kitten. We barely know these folks. They just moved in. And they're not home. They're on a camping trip. And so the cat is barely living. I take the cat to the vet. You would have thought I was Satan himself when I walked in and said, my dog mauled this cat. It's my neighbor's cat. And uh, they looked at me so sideways. Uh, But uh, we kept the cat alive and waited for our neighbors to come home. We didn't yet have their phone numbers. We didn't have their contact information. Couldn't get a hold of them. And so the cat's in the vet, and we, uh, this is a day later, I guess, we're driving down our street, coming back home, and we look in the distance as we see our house approaching, and, and we see uh, on, on the either side of, uh, on each side of, uh, of our houses, this, our house and the neighbor's house, there were two uh, Two old, let's just say two older women who uh, had accosted our neighbors kind of at their car before they could even get out of the car uh, from their camping trip. And as soon as they saw our car come down the street, these two women were gone back into their houses. And uh, we pulled in our driveway and then I had the, the lovely task of going and not breaking the news to my neighbors, 
Because the tale had already been told. The tale had already been born by another. Uh, but then cleaning up and picking up the pieces and filling in the gaps and, and picturing the story. That is a tale bearer. Those women were tale bearers. It wasn't their story to tell, and yet they told it. And I'm not just going to stand here high and mighty and confess their sin. I do it all the time. I'm no better. While the defense of the talebearer may be, well, I was just getting the story out. I was just getting the facts out there. The truth of the matter is, the heart of the talebearer is not focused on his neighbor. We are commanded to love our neighbors as ourselves. We were reminded last week that we are to bless one another with our words. And the heart of the informant is bent not on blessing, but on attention. On feeling important. Even feeling superior to those either he's talking to or those he's talking about. The informant. The slanderer. See, the way of wisdom, the opposite of the informant, is, is stated here in the proverb. It's one who is trustworthy, one who keeps a thing covered. Wisdom recognizes that there is some news that just ought not to be broken by you. It's not your story to tell, so don't tell it. We need to be on guard. Because a heart that fears the Lord guards itself against gossip and guards itself against being an informant. That's the first picture I want us to see from the book of Proverbs. There's another. There's another character, and he's called the whisperer. So we have the informant, we have the whisperer. And the whisperer comes from Proverbs 17.28. It's not listed there for you, but it says, A dishonest man spreads strife. And a whisperer separates close friends. See, the whisperer, rather than going directly to the individual to speak to them, the whisperer whispers so that other people don't hear. Oh, I remember those days in, in kindergarten when you, when you intentionally told a secret in front of someone else so that they knew that you were talking about them, but you didn't want them to hear? Oh, I know you all have done that. And adults, you still do it. You just don't make it as obvious as you did when you were in grade school. We're whispers. But again, as we are commanded to love our neighbors as ourselves, where is the heart of the whisper? The heart of a whisper grumbles. It's the first thing. Remember the Israelites in the wilderness in the Old Testament longing for the leeks and the cucumbers of days gone by. The psalmist recounts those days in Psalm 106 and he says, Then they despised the Lord, having no faith in His promise. They murmured in their tents, not obey the voice of the Lord discontent with what the Lord had provided for them and how He had led them, losing sight of the fact that God was for them. What did they do? They didn't go talk to God. No, they murmured in their tents. 
away from him. They didn't want him to hear. Related to this issue of the whisper is not just, not just grumbling, but it's, it's jealousy. And the whisper is plagued by discontentment. He pines for and therefore attacks what others have. And the way of wisdom, the opposite of the whisper, acknowledges what we read in Ecclesiastes just a few weeks ago. In Ecclesiastes 7, In the day of prosperity be joyful, in the day of adversity consider God has made the one as well as the other. So we don't live in a universe where we are subject to the forces of chance. We live in a universe ruled by a sovereign God who holds every molecule in this universe in His care. And therefore, we can say in whatever circumstances that the lot, the lines for me have, fell, have fallen in pleasant places. And therefore, we need not whisper. But we give thanks. And we be on guard. The informant, the whisper, and then one final example from Proverbs 26, 17, the third one down there. Whoever meddles in a quarrel not his own is like one who takes a passing dog by the ears. This reminds us, this is wisdom that reminds us that we as a people, we love controversy. We love to be entertained by controversy, but that kind of talk and that kind of listening only leads to trouble. The picture that the the, uh, the writer gives us is grabbing a dog by the ears. That usually doesn't go well. The other day I was filling up with gas and there was some issue with the gas attendant that I didn't, I didn't know, I didn't, hadn't heard what was going on, but I was just amazed to see kind of the wave of excitement that existed at the other pumps in regards to the controversy that was starting to happen. Guys were going over trying to get little bits so they could kind of add their two cents about the controversy. It just reminded me of my own propensity to want to know what's going on and to want to be a part of the controversy. And even when I'm in the store at the checkout line and we we see all these headlines and we see the the latest trouble that, that Justin Bieber or a myriad of other people have gotten themselves into... And we're drawn in. Not for their good, but for our own entertainment. One of the phrases that, uh, that Matthew Mitchell says in his helpful little book, he says, it's a commitment that he made to himself, the foolish people of the world do not exist for my entertainment. Again, the heart of the meddler is not about neighbor. It's about me. Entertain me. I want to see you fall apart. I want to see your life not go well so I can feel good about my life and so I can be entertained. Brothers and sisters, the words of wisdom from God's Word here in Proverbs remind us to be on guard against getting involved in issues that aren't ours. It's one thing if our motives are pure, if our brother or sister is living in sin and we need to speak the truth to them in love. 
But it's another thing altogether if we simply want the thrill of the controversy. The informant, the whisperer, the meddler. They're all personalities of the same character, the gossip. It's what we need to be on guard against because we are all guilty. And we could talk about more. We could talk about more that the book of Proverbs gives us. But that's enough, I think, to chew on. But now we ask how. How do we do this? How do we be on guard? Well, some of the principles from last week come into play. Number one, don't talk right away. Slow down. Humble yourself. Check your motives. Ask yourself, am I driven by love in speaking these words? More than often, we're not. And there's an issue here also in God's Word before we move on. There's an issue also about listening. About listening. Proverbs 17.4 says, An evildoer listens to wicked lips, and a liar gives ear to a mischievous tongue. Proverbs 20.19, Whoever goes about slandering reveals secrets, therefore do not associate with a simple babbler. And this can be even harder. Because it's one thing to guard your heart and to guard your own mouth against the way that you speak. It's another to guard yourself against those who speak around you. And especially those here in this room. Those that you love most. But this kind of wisdom and this kind of way of life is what God calls the church to be. A culture of peace. A culture of unity. The psalmist declares in Psalm 133 how good and pleasant it is when brothers and sisters, we could add, dwell together in unity. One of the first series I did here at the church four years ago was through the book of Ephesians. And when we were talking about Ephesians chapter 4 and the kind of language that builds up, I think I shared with you a part of a church covenant. A covenant of church membership that was part of the previous church that I served in. And it's, it was such a good declaration, such a good kind of pledge, a commitment for God's people of how we're going to interact with one another. And I just want to read it to you once again. I knew many of you weren't here four years ago when we did that first study. Listen to this commitment because I want this kind of commitment to be our commitment as a church as we think about guarding ourselves against gossip. It says, by God's help and grace, I commit myself to the goal of only giving good reports, of refusing to listen to bad reports and refusing to pass on bad reports to others. If there are policies and decisions made by the elders or deacons with which I disagree or may not understand, I will go to those officers and make my concerns known to them rather than going to others with the possibility of sowing seeds of dissension and division. If someone in the body has offended me, I promise to remain silent 
and to forgive the person before God in my heart, allowing love to cover a multitude of sins, or go to that person privately and seek reconciliation. I purpose to approach an offender in a spirit of gentleness and genuine love, having first corrected my own attitudes and actions. Only if I'm unable to restore an offender will I share the problem with others according to the principles of Matthew 18. When I violate this goal, I purpose to ask forgiveness of my brother or sister and of the Lord, knowing that God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. By doing these things, I will seek to promote harmony, unity, love, and peace in our church. That's what I want us to be. Hearts that are conscious of and guard ourselves against gossip. Well, there's another truth, and we'll end here briefly. The heart that fears the Lord not only guards itself against gossip, but the heart that fears the Lord overflows with praise for others. I don't want this whole uh, sermon to be about putting off. Certainly there are things we need to put off. But what do we put on then? What do we put on if we're putting off? What do we put on in Christ? And that's what this second truth has to do with. C.S. Lewis once wrote that the world overflows with praise. And and it does. You turn on the radio and it's all about love, love, love. That's the kind of praise that they sing. Go to Instagram and it's all about me, me, me. Look what I've done. Look where I am. And of course the church rings with praise as well. It's part of the rhythm of who we are. But it ought to be the part of the rhythm of our life in Jesus as well. See, when I talk about praising, when I talk about overflowing with praise, I'm not merely speaking about praise directed to God. I'm talking about praise directed to one another. You see, we need to learn to talk to each other, not about each other. And when we talk to each other, we need to bless one another. Proverbs 16.24, gracious words, I love this, gracious words are like a honeycomb, sweetness to the soul and health to the body. Proverbs 31, that very famous passage about a woman who fears the Lord. How does it end? Proverbs 31.30, a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. We ought to praise even our enemies. We ought to bless those who persecute us, Paul says in Romans chapter 12. God calls us to commend the commendable in others. And that's a great little phrase that I got from a book I've read uh, called Practicing Affirmation. Another little wonderful book where he makes this assertion that God is glorified in us when we affirm the work He has done and is doing in others. And he asked the question, could we even be robbing God of praise and glory by not speaking words of blessing to one another? And again, how do we do that? Well, the fact of the matter is we are two hands off. It's always interesting when we, and I've been to a lot of memorial services and a lot of funerals, 
When people stand up and they eulogize those who have passed away, and the eulogies are often such beautiful things, and, and I always wonder, did they ever say those things to that person when that person was alive? God's Word says it's like honeycomb. It's sweet to the soul. If you see something commendable in a brother or sister, if you see character or gifts or accomplishments that are worthy of praise, speak up. Not to flatter them, not to build their ego. We're not talking about that kind of speech. But to love your neighbor and to love God as you love your neighbor. You see, our speech is neutral. It's going to do one of two things. It's going to tear down or it's going to build up. And just like I think we have much growing to do in putting off gossip, we have much growing to do in being Barnabases. Remember Barnabas? What does the Scripture say of him? He was the son of encouragement. That's how, what a way to be labeled for all time. As one who encouraged and built up others. Paul wrote in in, in a bunch of his letters, I thank God for you. I thank God for you. And there's a great picture Corey Tenbu gives of whenever she received praise from another for accomplishment that she made. She talked about how that praise was a bouquet of roses. And she would take that bouquet of roses, figuratively speaking, and she would smell it and enjoy it, but, but she was on her way. She was on her way to deliver that bouquet of roses to the one who ultimately deserved it, the Lord Jesus. But as she was taking the bouquet to the Lord, she would smell and enjoy. And I think that's, that's a great picture of affirmation. When we affirm others and bless others, we're not making idols of them. We're not worshiping them. We're rejoicing in the Lord's work in their lives. And we're encouraging them to smell the roses of praise as those roses get delivered to the throne of God. Uh, we could talk about this much more. Praise, gratitude, and love replacing slander, whispering, and meddling. If we were a kind of people, if we were a church that exhibited that in its fullness, wow. How the world would be attracted to us. How the world would wonder about what kind of love drives us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank You for Your Word and we thank You for the encouragement, the very practical encouragement from the book of Proverbs. Lord, we confess that we are not sufficient for these things. We need Your grace. We need Your presence to take our eyes off of ourselves and to put them on others and to put them on You. And so, Father, I pray that we would go from this place with more than just principles, more than just encouragements and admonitions and truths from Your Word, but that we would go, indeed, with the power of Your Spirit to walk in these ways and to do these things that wise living calls us to do. And we recognize too that there are situations, there are contexts 
that require wisdom in knowing whether this is a time that we need to speak up or this is a time we need to shut up. Father, I pray that You would give us wisdom in those situations. That we might know how Christ would have lived. How Christ would have acted. How He would have spoken or not spoken. Oh, Father, we thank You for Your truth. And we pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.